Hello, and welcome to the second episode of The Partial Historians. I'm Dr. Peter. And I am Dr. Radford. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of Vestal Virgins. And if you're not quite sure what they are, don't worry. That's what this show is for. I feel like I should uh, preface this episode by saying that I am tipping my top hat in your direction, Dr. G. Why, thank you. Because we are in the presence, ladies and gentlemen, of an expert. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. you. Hold the applause. Uh, So I'm prepared to admit that I'll probably back down on any single argument. <laughs> it's not going to make for much of a conversation. No. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. I'll probably be eating my words along with this delicious chocolate. <laughs> mm. yeah. So to, to get us started, I think there's two fundamental questions that we need to answer. What's a Vestal? Yep. Uh, and what's a Virgin? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with the easy one, shall we? <laughs> all right. Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, the Roman understanding of virginity is the same as the modern understanding of virginity. So we can feel some sense of confidence here. Yes, keeping a... those legs closed, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yes, uh, no activity whatsoever. No. Um, I, I'm not going to go into the, the dangerous <laughs> scenario of masturbation at this point in time. Virginity, no sex. Yes. So we've established this point. Yes. So the, the thornier question, I think, is what is a vestal? Yes. And obviously we're now delving further into intimate Roman territory. Yes. May I hazard a guess? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I believe they're a vessel because they have something to do with the worship of Vesta. Ah, you would be correct. Excellent. <laughs> so, and so if they're interested in the worship of Vesta, then the trouble will still face the same difficulty, really. What is a Vesta? <laughs> yes, yes, what is Vesta? <laughs> so, Vesta is a goddess, mm-hmm. one of many, which uh, is part of, who is part of the Roman pantheon. Yes. And Vesta is particularly interested in very traditional female tasks, as far as we can tell. She seems to be one of these very ancient goddesses. There's a point at which we can't trace her back any further. Yeah. And she seems to be built into the Italian landscape, this this land before Rome, if you like. Mm. Uh, she certainly predates the foundation of the city of Rome. Yes. And... The, the normal theory for this tends to be that she's a emergence or a, a transformation of the Greek goddess, Hestia, mm-hmm. who is interested in harvests and fertility. And that seems to be as much as we get out of that sort of connection. Yeah, and that sort of continues to be a part of the cult of Vesta, doesn't it? The whole idea of sort of fertility and... And that sort of thing. Definitely. Yeah. And and the trouble with this sort of thing is from mm. an anthropological perspective, if you don't know what a god's for, fertility usually seems to be the answer. Yeah. So, you know, just tick the box. Who's going to say no to plentiful food and healthy children? <laughs> well, exactly. You know, it's, it's the desire of all good working Romans. Um, not to mention anybody who's in a survival situation. Yeah. So how do we sort of, how can we narrow this down? And, and then we have to start thinking about what is it about Vesta that that we can sort of pinpoint precisely as being particularly about her? Mm-hmm. And Would the, this be the hearth, maybe? Ah, yeah. you know where I'm going. <laughs> so what do you know about the hearth? Well, all I really know is that one of the things the Vestal Virgins actually do, <laughs> like actually part of their job description, you might say, mm. is that they're meant to tend the hearth of Vesta. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, 
make sure the fire doesn't go out mm-hmm. and that this is sort of viewed as you know the hearth of Rome you know and that if, the, if that fire goes out if that flame goes out could mean really bad stuff's about to go down. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a, actually a really complicated relationship. I yeah. mean, how do you get from yeah. the hearth, which is traditionally the place where you cook the food sure. in the family household, yeah. and every Roman household would have one, one. of these, yeah. to a hearth that is for the city, that is yeah. for the city, that yeah. represents the entire city. So yeah. I think we have to step back a little bit mm. and and think about how this connection comes about. Mm. And there seems to be a transitional moment in, mm-hmm. in the myth that surrounds the, the Vestals yeah. and how they come into being, sure. which centres around this figure, uh, one particular woman who is known as Rhea Silvia. Oh, yes. Mm. One of my favourite stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. hit me with your, with your knowledge. Well, okay. As far as I understand it, Rhea was a daughter who was made a Vestal by mm-hmm. her uncle after he had ousted her father from the throne. Mm-hmm. This is back in the times when there were such things as kings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're not talking about Rome at this stage. We're no. talking about uh, a city uh, that is on the outskirts of, of uh, Italian territory or outside the Roman city itself, uh, much more ancient, called yes. Alba Longa. Yeah. So this is going into the proto-Roman yeah, very ancient, very ancient, yes. history. Yeah. Yes, and then um, she... Somehow or other, perhaps Mars had something to do with that, that naughty god <laughs> became uh, pregnant, yes. <laughs> none, uh, despite her uncle's best efforts. And she ended what? up. What? Yeah. Um, a Vestal became pregnant. I know. Shocking. <laughs> you know, which is going to come back, we're going to come back to obviously the idea that maybe Vestals did have sex. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Uh, but yes, she did end up pregnant somehow or other and uh, gave birth to twin boys who were called Romulus and Remus, and this might start to ring some bells. <laughs> yeah, well this, is, well, this is where a Vestal story leads in nicely to one of those famous foundation myths for ancient Rome, the story mm. of the twins, Romulus and Remus. Mm. And so we have at the very heart of a Roman foundation story the influence and pivotal role of a woman who is labelled as a Vestal. Yep. So she tends the hearth. This is part of a Vestal's job. Mm. And... The idea of this hearth and and the central place that it has in the Roman consciousness is, mm. as you rightly said earlier, the idea of the flame. Yeah. So every hearth is a place where you cook your food, so naturally you've got a fire. Yep. If it's a normal household, so be it, the fire goes out, nothing dramatic about that. Yeah. <laughs> you probably wanted to go out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the summertime, that might be Yeah, possible. exactly. Uh, in any case, yes. uh, for... Uh, these Vestal virgins, mm. these women who tend the hearth of the goddess Vesta, yeah. it is really imperative that the fire does not go out. Yeah. And the reason uh, for this primarily is because the flame on the hearth of Vesta mm. is considered to be the representation of the goddess herself. Right. So while other gods will have cult images, yeah. Vesta is represented in an earthly fashion by this flame. How fiery. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, Vesta, we know, is considered to be a virgin goddess. Mm. Now, yeah, yeah. Wow. It does I know happen. some men who think virgins are pretty sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole sort of swathe of uh, virgin goddesses in mm. the ancient world. Absolutely. Um, and so she fits into a very specific category of mm-hmm. goddess. And I suppose... Uh, that leaves us with a situation where the virginity of the priestesses, these vestals, yeah. is 
part of fulfilling the physical requirements of the goddess. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Because that is the other thing, of course. Being a Vestal virgin, (laughs) one of their other jobs is not to have sex, basically. (laughs) Well, it's very important to not have sex, particularly if your virginity is symbolic of the goddess's virginity. Yes. If you lose that virginity, all of a sudden your relationship with Vesta Mm. is severed. Yep. You've become something different Mm. aside from a living representation of that goddess. Yeah. And we should probably say something here maybe about uh, when the Vestals, you know, were made Vestals, as in when in their lifespan. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, go on. (laughs) Well, again, from what I understand, (laughs) I believe they were chosen between the ages of 6 and 10, as far as we can tell, Hmm. Um, and that they would then serve for a minimum of 30 years, and this often became obviously a lifelong commitment because, well, you're an old maid by that stage, (laughs) my friends. (laughs) Well, yeah, definitely. So you're chosen between six and ten. So interestingly, before puberty really kicks in, uh, that seems to be a key factor. Hopefully before the old age is kicked in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the tendency uh, in thinking on this subject is that puberty kicks in uh, quite a little bit later than it does in the modern world. Sure. There's not a lot of evidence to say yes or no on that issue. Yeah, just basically on like nutrition and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. but thinking yeah. about nutrition. Yeah. And so six and ten prior mm-hmm. to puberty. Yeah. And and the then they have families? a... Was it, it was noble families, wasn't it, mostly? Well, yes, yeah. traditionally patrician families. Yeah, yeah. So the most elite Roman mm. families would offer daughters because it was considered to be quite prestigious to sure. have a daughter in this um, cult of Vesta. Mm. And so at any given time, you have six priestesses mm-hmm. and they can range in age from six uh, <laughs> up until, well, whenever you like, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, considering that, that the minimum requirement of service is 30 years, mm. the tendency seems to be that after you've reached that limit, most women choose to continue to stay yes. inside the cult, mostly because they're used to the lifestyle yep. and also because they're no longer really marriage viable yeah i mean they could enter the marriage market at that stage if they wanted to but they may be hard pressed to find an interested party (laughs) well yeah i mean the issue of fertility comes up so it's it's a really interesting mirror uh that the vestal is chosen prior to puberty and then serves almost to the point at which all of her fertile years have been consumed by that service definitely and obviously When we think of someone, you know, looking sexy, we think of them looking a certain way, you know, maybe dressing a certain way. Mm. And I suppose, in a way, the Vestals also have a special uniform to maybe signify their virginity, (laughs) sort of advertise their... Their status. They do, yeah. and, it's, and it's interesting. So, And this is one of those hazy areas as well where there's yeah. a lot of scholarship mm. and yet we don't really know what any of the terms mean. necessarily mean. Mm. And so we talk about the unique uh, headdress yeah. that the Vestals wear, but we don't really know what it looks like necessarily. Yeah. We get some really late examples um, from the late imperial period and it's not necessarily a gauge for anything before then. Yeah. And we also, there's an intimation that they have a very particular hairstyle, yep. which involves the six braids. Yeah, it sounds uh, really <laughs> unappealing. <laughs> it does sound unappealing. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I think there have been some uh, attempts, modern attempts, to reconstruct the hairstyle. Yeah. Uh, which I find interesting, but yeah. largely implausible. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you want to go down that path, so Whatever. be yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> knock yourself out. Hands on history. Yeah. Oh, well, bring it to life. <laughs> um, 
And so, yeah, we do have these elements of festival dress that there are supposed to physically distinguish them from other citizens. Yes. And so it's interesting then that we do get, to go slightly off topic, stories of festivals who are caught unawares uh, on their way home from banquets and and accosted, which seems to create some sort As of in drama. Or? Yeah, oh. yeah. Well, you know, the, the threat of maybe more to come if you're lucky. Yeah. Wink, wink, <laughs> yeah. nudge, nudge. Saucy wench. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at you wandering about the streets of Rome by what, yourself at yeah. night. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing in the shadows, darling? Uh, and you think to yourself, well, if their dress was so distinctive, how could anybody have made that mistake? It yes. would be a huge photo. Pa yeah. and disrespectful mm. to accost a virgin priestess yes. uh, whose virginity is so sacred. Absolutely. And can I, I mean, this is probably diving way ahead, but <laughs> I, I have to say these are my favourite stories. Mm. My favourite stories about festivals concern the people who were accused of unchastity uh, or more Losing their virginity, essentially. Exactly, yeah. Um, Because they dressed a little too well. (laughs) A little little too provocatively. Yeah, yeah. 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 I know this is driving way ahead, but yeah, I I love those stories. (laughs) (laughs) They seem to be really interesting because Mm. this means that there is a certain... If if there is any credence in them, and we do get a couple of examples. Yes. uh, A woman called Manukia and another woman called Postumia, Mm. uh, two vessel priestesses. so awful. (laughs) (laughs) nothing to one can't help the Latin (laughs) (laughs) try not to think too much about it but two women we have at least two examples in the literature of women who are accused of dressing in a way that suggests that they're sexually active even if indeed they're not yeah and I believe one of them was actually convicted and one Mm. of them was not well well, she got off yeah yeah one of them got a slap on the wrist saying maybe you should dress a little bit more modestly (laughs) <laughs> have you thought about wearing your dress a bit like this? Yeah. You know? Have you considered an extra tunic? We all think you look lovely, but... <laughs> you know you're a virgin. Yes. If you don't want to be buried alive, then maybe yeah. you should... Yeah. It worries. It sort of leads into the victim blaming, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, yeah. But we won't go there. No, no. Um, but this, this issue with... That even within the restrictions of vestal mm. dress, there does seem to be evidence that there is a certain freedom as well of yeah. dress choice for these women. Yeah. Uh, they can make certain personal decisions yeah. that can end up reflecting poorly on their reputation. And I suppose it, it is very possible that they might have just been wearing those particular costumes you know, during rituals and <laughs> festivals and that sort of thing, which we probably don't need to go into in a great yeah, it's hard yeah. to know uh, mm. whether, you know, you're always on mm. as a yeah, vestal yeah, exactly. or whether you get any particular downtime from that. Yeah. Well, presumably it wouldn't take six women to make sure a fire didn't go Well, out. no, and I've thought about this from, from a logical perspective. You've mm. got six priestesses yeah. and it's probably important to point out here that they all live communally together yes. yeah. in what is called the Atrium Veste, yeah. the House of Vesta, yeah. uh, which is actually right next door to to the temple where they're looking after this eternal flame yep. in Vesta's hearth. So not much of a commute. <laughs> no, no, it's a very short walk. Yeah. Overall courses of the archaeological evidence, awesome. very yeah. very yeah. close, next door neighbour to the temple, which yeah. is very handy. Yeah. Um, so we have them living communally and we have the flame that needs to be attended at all times. Yes. Yeah. So presumably you're taking, you're doing some sort of rotation. You would assume, yeah. And... And I mean, I suppose also being a vestal meant, and this is something people 
might like to know, that you were in a sense a bit more independent than your average Roman woman because mm. it did come with, you know, privileges, as you would hope. You know, you, you <laughs> Despite get... being tied to this rotational, uh, yeah, exactly. making sure the flame doesn't exactly, go out. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, you are tied to a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go too far yeah. from the fire, yeah. Um, but you do get some perks. There are some perks. Yeah. Uh, now, being uh, a group that lives communally, yeah. for instance, that already separates them out from most Roman women sure. who are living within the family or the household of their father. Yeah. And or then their husband. Or, and yeah. then their husband. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the fact that we have women living together certainly sets them apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly see unique sort of privileges awarded to these vestals. Yeah. Uh, but they, they do come in, they kick in at very specific political moments. Sure. Uh, most pertinently during the sort of Augustan reform legislation. Yeah. So that Which is. Which we spoke about a bit last episode. Well, we did. <laughs> but to give you sort of a time frame for this sort of thing, yeah. we've talked about Rhea Silvia, who is proto Roman. So prior to 500, even 700 yeah. BC. Way back. So yeah. <laughs> prior to the foundation of the city, which yeah. traditionally is 753, 753 BC, yes. according to Roman calculations. Yes. Down there, that. <laughs> Comprehension yeah. is important. So we've gone from Rhea Silvia, yep. foundation figure yep. uh, of these festivals, yep. to uh, if we're thinking about legal privileges, yep. a lot of these changes coming in under Augustus. So sure. we're looking at anywhere between... So Augustus is dating in terms of power to about anywhere between 30 yeah. BC and, and 14, 14 yeah. AD. Yeah, yeah. And then to make it even more precise, mm. the legislation is coming into effect sort of about 1819 BC, BC? Yeah. and from that point onwards. Yeah. So we've jumped from sort of 753 before yep. Rhea Silvia yeah. uh, to right in the midst of this transitional period from... Roman Republic into, with Augustus, this transitional figure of the Principate, which will then transform into into the empire under Tiberius. So we've got a huge sort of, this is the thing with ancient history as well, so many gaps in the the record and so many places to choose. They're obviously such a crucial cult, you know, Mm. Um, and yet the mentions of them in the ancient sources are quite infrequent when you think about it. You know? Well, perhaps we should talk about why they're crucial. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're <laughs> right ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. so we've, got the, we've established that they've got the fire yep. uh, in their special hearth in the temple. Yep. Uh, Vesta is a virgin goddess. She's associated with the foundation of the city. Uh-huh. Somewhere along the line in, in the transition from Rhea Silvia mm. into this Republican period of Roman history... Yep. There seems to be a symbolic attachment between the flame and the safety of the city itself. Yep. And the idea essentially is that the flame represents the longevity of Rome. Yes. So if the flame is to go out for any reason... Yep. This is an indication that Rome is in danger. Yes, it's kind of like the the whole idea of the Tower of London. You know, if that falls, then mm. England, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the, for a trouble. Yeah. yeah, one of those things that the thing stands in for the whole. Yeah. Uh, so you get this moment where uh, it's very important from a, from a Vestal perspective to make yep. sure that the fire is always watched. Yep. So this is why they're spending so much time on presumably their rotational schedule. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Uh, keeping an eye on that flame. Yep. And then you get the inevitable moment where it goes out because what are the chances 
you know, a strong gust of wind. <laughs> I know, you have to kind of wonder about that. And and obviously this is one of the instances where they come up in the ancient sources because, mm. yeah, fire goes out. <gasps> Disaster. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean? Exactly. <laughs> Prodigia. <laughs> yeah. We must, we must investigate. Yeah. If Rome is in danger, we need to find the reason why yes. Rome is in danger. Yeah. So we get this point at which then an investigation begins. Yes. And this is where it often turns up that one of the Vestals may have, <laughs> may may have, have fallen off the pedestal. <laughs> what virginity? Exactly, exactly. I didn't realise it was so important. <laughs> oh, you mean I, I, I didn't have, I shouldn't have sex? I thought you said I should have sex. <laughs> was there something about the title that you didn't understand? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not always the case, though, is it? It's... It's only sometimes the case that this is Oh yeah, connected. and, and yeah. I think I think in terms of yeah. of what we're interested in, it's mm. probably nice if we leave it on a cliffhanger at this point. Ah, ah. <laughs> so so because I think uh, the the cases that we have of vessels who are who are perhaps not virgins anymore yep. is something that that deserves its own sort of space and time. Absolutely, yes. So we might just leave it, wrap it up here Ooh, uh, with that tuned. with that taste <laughs> of uh, what it is to be a vestal. In some senses, and we'll come back to it at a later stage. Yep, no problems. So, to wrap it up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank everyone who listened last time. Thank you. And we also really appreciate your questions. We have uh, tried to answer some of them on our Facebook page, but one of them was so intriguing, we are going to be looking at it a, in a later episode. So thank you very much, loyal listeners. <laughs> yes, thank you. We appreciate your feedback Absolutely. and your support, and thank you for listening. Bye.